Ephesians chapter number three. Our message this morning is entitled, A Mystery Made Known. A Mystery Made Known. We're going to be covering verses one through 13, again out of Ephesians chapter number three. Uh, let's open in a word of prayer. We'll read our text. Ask the Lord to bless our service this morning. Father, we thank you this morning that you are sovereign, that you are on your throne, that you are God. And that because of that, we can trust you. We can place our 100% complete faith in you because you are a good God and you desire to be in relationship with your people. And you have made a way through Jesus, through his shed blood, through his resurrection, through an empty tomb, defeating sin, death, and hell. You have made a way for us sinful mankind to be made right in your eyes and for that relationship with you to be reconciled and restored. And so, Father, we cling to that reality this morning. We need you. So, Father, we many times in our life lean in our own understanding and we trust in our own wisdom and knowledge. This morning, we just want to acknowledge, Father, that we have no wisdom or knowledge apart from you. And we come as beggars this morning, needy, um, recognizing our place before you, a holy God. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would use my feeble attempt to take your inspired and errant word and to uh, re reveal it through the power of your Holy Spirit to the hearts and lives of many. I can't do that work, Father. We need you to do that through your spirit. And so I pray that you would take your word and you would plant it deep in our hearts and it would bear fruit that it would remain and we ask all these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, again, this, this morning, uh, we, we definitely find ourselves in unique situations where um, sickness and, and other circumstances often um, desire to drown out what God would have us to do as we gather together as his church, the body of Christ this morning. And so I come to you this morning recognizing I need grace. And so I pray that you would um, pray for me even as we go through this text, as we uh, seek to make some observations from the word of God this morning. And I pray also that you would recognize that you as a hearer also need grace this morning. Um, uh, we, we often have a lot of distractions. Even This is the first time in, in months that I've been able to, to sit here with my children, I'm, I'm often either leading or, or playing the drum. And so I was reminded of the distractions, even of sitting in the row with my children and attempting to, to worship. Uh, it's easier said than done, right? And, and that's not just those with children. That's for any of us. We have things going on this afternoon. We have schedules that start on Monday. We have appointments that need to happen. We have presentations. We have business meetings. We have all kinds of things going on. And often we bring that right here to this place on, on Sunday morning. And so again... We, I need grace to, to preach, and you need grace to hear. And so collectively, let us recognize that we all need grace this morning um, to accomplish the work that he would have for us to accomplish. And so my prayer is, is simply that, that we would be able to hear the word and respond to it rightly this morning. So a mystery made known, Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. Let's, let's read our text this morning. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. 
as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as, as it has now been revealed in his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. A mystery made known. So if you'll think back with me briefly to our passage last week, there was one imperative found in our text and it served as the base level action for each of the points that we discussed as we worked through the second half of chapter two last week. Do you remember what that imperative was last week? Anybody remember? Starts with an R. We were implored to what? Remember. Did you say remember? Good. We had one. All right. We had one. The imperative was what? It was to remember. We were called last week to remember some very specific things about Christ, about our salvation, about who we were before, who we are now in Christ. And as a result, the promises that we have for all eternity in Christ. Again, we were called to remember. So our response to last week's passage should, been, should have been one of remembrance. And last week, if you'll remember with me, we had the opportunity to specifically remember Christ through the observance of what? The Lord's Supper, right? There's something very beautiful about the Lord's Supper that allows us to simply remember who Christ is, who we are before a holy God, and as a result, what He has done through the blood of Jesus. And so we're called in Scripture to, as we observe the Lord's table, to do this in remembrance of who? Of Jesus Christ, right? And so often when we come to the Lord's table, we, we have an opportunity to, to do what? To reflect on ourselves, to reflect on God, to reflect on a relationship with others in the church, to reflect on a relationship with others outside of the church, in the business world, in our community that we live in. We're called to remember, to consider, to think about, to ponder the status of. And so I wonder this morning, did we go through that exercise? Certainly as we heard Paul implore us to remember and to think back, but did we also go through the exercise to remember as we observed the Lord's table? It causes us to consider our ways to examine our hearts and many times it causes us to what? To repent, to reconcile and to be restored in those relationships all because we simply did what? We remembered. So there's something very powerful about this exercise of remembrance. 
And Paul isn't the only one who calls us to remember. We see the call to remember often through the whole of New Testament. Uh, the psalmist, all the way through Psalms, implores God to remember not the sins of his people, right? And so there's often this, this term of remembrance that I think we need to be mindful of. And so as we think back to our text last week, as we went through that very simple elementary exercise of remembering some very simple truths about God, it carries into now chapter number three. As we move from that vertical relationship and understanding how, this, how the horizontal now is restored through the blood of Jesus, we find ourselves now in chapter number three where Paul is going to anchor our hearts and our minds on this concept of the mystery. The mystery of this work that has been done is profound in our minds. It doesn't make sense to the Jews and to the Gentiles to be restored in one body. It doesn't make sense for the walls of hostility to be broken down, but God has done that work and it is a, it is a mystery. And so through these first few chapters of Ephesians, Paul referenced time and time again the mystery of Jesus Christ, the mystery of the gospel. And Paul continues to layer chapter after chapter more and more clarity on exactly what that mystery is. And so here we have in our text in chapter number three, verses one through 13, I'll give us our, our big idea of our text. It's this, God is sovereignly fulfilling his eternal plan of redemption through Jesus Christ, whereby the mystery of the gospel has now been made known. Read that one more time. This is the big idea of our text that Paul wants us to, to go away from reading and hearing this word. He wants us to get this. God is sovereignly fulfilling his eternal plan of redemption through Christ, whereby the mystery of the gospel has now been made known. Again, the Old Testament looking forward to this man, Jesus Christ. The New Testament looking back to this man, Jesus Christ. All of the, all of the, uh, the revelation that we know about Christ. All the signs, miracles, and wonders. All the prophecies that have been made known in the Old Testament are fulfilled in the New Testament. And Christ and the mystery of the gospel has been revealed through his work. So here we have in our text, Paul in the second half of chapter 1 prays for his readers, right? Do you remember that? At the beginning of chapter three, it looks like Paul is going to launch into another prayer. He doesn't finish or begin that prayer until verse number 14. So he kind of, he kind of teases us a little bit there, but he uses this phrase for this reason. He often uses that phrase before he enters into a prayer. And so if you're like me and I'm transitioning to chapter three and we see that phrase for this reason, I'm, I'm expecting a prayer to come. But Paul does an audible for us and he says, hey, before I launch into this prayer that's gonna happen in verse number 14, I want you to understand some very specific things about this mystery once again. Again, these are truths that you should already know. These are truths that should be familiar to you. But again, I wanna go through this exercise of you remembering what exactly this mystery is, what it means for you personally, and its implications on the gathered church, the body of Christ, for us to live that out in the world that God has placed us. So Paul does often as preachers do on a Sunday morning in prayer is, have you ever been there on a Sunday morning? Right, a elder, a pastor opens in a word of prayer 
and, and you're, you're into the prayer, right? Let's just be honest. We're going to have just like an honest human moment here this morning, right? So the pastor opens in a word of prayer, and that prayer kind of keeps going, right? Have you been there? And that prayer kind of keeps going some more, and it kind of keeps going some more, and before you know it, that prayer is ending. You're thinking, man, that was a good sermon in and of itself, right? Uh, and, 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 and preachers are good at that, right? We like to kind of preach two sermons. We have our opening prayer where we can get some points out and we're praying to the Lord to do these things and we kind of summarize the message and we do that before and then we do that after. So really we preached three times in one Sunday morning. So Paul is, Paul's kind of doing that, right? He's, this is his introduction to the actual prayer here in Ephesians chapter number three that's gonna start in verse number 14. And so as we're looking at this text this morning, we're going to break it down into kind of three main points. The first one is this. We're going to look at Paul's situation in suffering for Christ. We're going to see that in verse 1, and we're also going to see that at the last verse of verse number 13. Secondly, we're going to look at Paul's stewardship in handling the mystery of Christ. That's going to be covered in verses 2 through 7. And then thirdly, we're going to look at Paul's service in proclaiming the mystery of Christ in verses 8 through 12. So Paul will structure these verses here in his intro to his prayer in a very unique way, right? And he kind of bookends the content of this passage with his suffering as a servant of Jesus Christ, right? He intros that in verse number one, and then he finishes in verse number 13 with this idea of him suffering as a servant of Jesus Christ. So that becomes the bookend of our text here this morning. And in the middle of this, Paul will again focus our attention on this mystery that is made known through Christ and how it is even revealed now to the world through his, through his church, the body of Christ. That's, that's us, that's you and me. We are the body of Christ. So I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a fan of, of key words when it comes to Bible study and hermeneutics, right? That's typically when I start my study, I'm looking for, I'm looking for key words. Are, are there some phrases that are used over and over? Are there some, some thoughts that are repeated throughout this section of scripture? And certainly in verses one through 13, we have kind of a, a few words that are repeated often. I think it'll help us understand exactly what Paul wants us to take away here, right? So the first word, and, I, and I, I've given it to you in and in the title, and I hope you're, you're going to help me with this one, the first theme that we see throughout the first 13 verses is what? What is that, that word that's repeated throughout? Mystery. Good. That was better, right? You hit a home run on that one, right? Good job. So it's mystery, right? We see this word used in, in verses 3, 4. We see it used in the ESV in verse number 6 and in verse number 9. We see this phrase or verb, the second one, made known, Right, we see that in verses 3, 5, and 10. We see the word grace in verses 2, 7, and 8. And finally, we see the word given in verses, again, 2, 7, and 8. So these words, mystery, made known, grace, and given, they help us target our minds on what Paul is really attempting to communicate in this passage. And if you read those really from left to right, those key words, they almost create a coherent thought in and of themselves, right? You see, Paul in this text is designed for his readers and his hearers to know the mystery of the gospel has been made known by the grace of God that is given to us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
Right? You see how those, those key words in our text will, will anchor ourselves as we work our way through the text. Again, Paul wants his readers and hearers to know that the mystery of the gospel has been made known by the grace of God given to us through the finished work of Jesus. So our first point this morning is this, Paul's situation and suffering for Christ. Paul's desire to help his readers have an eternal perspective in the midst of suffering. One would expect Paul to be the one in need of encouragement, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you expect Paul to be the one in the depths of despair, questioning the circumstances that he finds himself in, questioning the love of God, questioning the sovereignty of God in his life? But instead, Paul is the one giving the encouragement to his readers and his hearers of, of this letter. What circumstances does Paul find himself? Paul is likely under house arrest at this point in his ministry, possibly even changed, chained, excuse me, to a Roman soldier, as was often the custom in those days. Let's not forget, if he was in prison, that Paul was likely facing a real threat of actual what? Death. So Paul is in some, some fairly difficult circumstances. And what, is, what does Paul say in verse number 13? So I ask you not to what? Lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul says in verse number one, for this reason, Paul, I, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. Paul has an incredible perspective in the midst of his suffering. See, Paul could have been discouraged. He could have questioned the love of God in these moments, but he viewed it all, all these circumstances, the imprisonment, the impending death that he would face for the cause of Christ, he viewed it all through the eternal lens of God's plan and sovereignty. He knew that he was exactly where he needed to be to put the glory of God on full display just as God intended. And friends, I don't know about you, that's, that's sometimes a tough pill to swallow in life. To believe that the circumstances that you're experiencing are exactly what God had in mind for your life so that the glory of God could be put on full display. It could have maximum impact in this world because of the circumstances that you find yourself in. It is His will. That is His plan. That is His design. I think of a number of individuals, even in our congregation here this morning that who have gone through extended seasons of difficulty and circumstances and trial. Physical sickness, ailments, disease that don't necessarily have a, a favorable treatment. There's no pill to take. Chronic pain, chronic illness that isn't going to go away. But yet the thorn in the flesh and the grace of God and His glory on full display. This is what Paul lived for in his life. Whether he was behind bars, chained to a Roman soldier, or facing death, Paul says, do not lose heart over what I am suffering. That's, that's called an eternal perspective. And he goes on in Colossians 3 to say what? If you then be risen with Christ, do what? Seek the things that are above not the things that are on this earth, right? And so ultimately, Paul has an above-minded type of mentality where he understands that God has a perfect plan of redemption that he is working out 
in and through the life and ministry of Paul in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 12 through 14, Paul says it another way. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to what? Advance the gospel, Paul says. The imprisonment, the beatings, the persecutions, they have served to do what? Advance the gospel. And for that, Paul was joyful. He was exuberant that the Lord would choose him worthy to be a suffering servant for the cause of the gospel. He goes on in verse number 13 of Philippians 1 to say, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for who? Christ, he says. Verse 14, and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see, Paul understood that God was going to use his suffering, his circumstances, his difficulty, to not only bring glory to God, but to strengthen his fellow man to go on and fight the good fight, to finish the race, and to run with patience. Paul had this eternal perspective in his suffering. Perspective, what does it mean? Perspective is simply this, a particular attitude toward or a way of regarding something, a point of view. Paul was able, by God's grace, to have the right perspective in the midst of incredibly difficult circumstances. What does this mean for us? It means that we too, in this world that is riddled by sin and spiritual warfare, will likely experience suffering. Do we get that? in a world that likes to cling on to the sugar stick of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, when you sign up for Jesus, you don't sign up for health, wealth, and prosperity. You sign up for what? Suffering. You sign up for persecution. You sign up for difficulty in this world because as they persecuted Christ, they will certainly persecute those who follow after Christ. So we will have Suffering, difficulty, circumstances, hurt, loss, pain. We will experience all of that in this world. It also means this, that in the midst of those things, that God is what? He is there. Paul wasn't alone. Paul had his Savior at his side. He had the Spirit of Christ dwelling in him richly. Why? Because he was serving God faithfully for his cause. And so God is there in that moment. And is that not what Satan wants us to forget? But Paul is calling us to remember these things. He's calling us to remember that in our deepest and darkest difficulty, pain, hurt, and loss, that God is there. Do you believe that this morning? He is there. How often do we need to say that to our cold, forgetful heart that God is there? He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. He wants us to use these moments of pain for our good and his glory. It means that there is purpose in the lost job when it doesn't make sense. It means, friends, that there is purpose in the unfavorable diagnosis. It means that there is purpose in whatever you are going through because we should, as Paul did, not lose heart in our suffering. 
Don't lose heart in your suffering. This is, this is what Paul remembered in this text as he was behind bars and in prison and suffering for his Savior. Let's look at our second point this morning, Paul's stewardship and handling the mystery of Christ. Let's read verse number two of chapter three. It says this, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Verse number two, this stewardship would be referring to the responsibility that God had given to Paul to do what? To preach the gospel to who? Not just the Jews, but to who? The Gentiles. The Jews and the Gentiles that have been made one. This is the mystery of the gospel, and, and Paul is a, is a steward of that reality. He has great responsibility and care in making sure that he is obedient in that cause to the Gentiles. So the stewardship was given by God for the benefit of his readers, both the Jews and the, the Gentiles. It was for you. And isn't that a beautiful reality? Just, just think about this, friends. Verse number two, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. God's grace that was given to who? To Paul. For who? The Gentiles. Fast forward thousands of years later, that is who? That is us. That is you. That is me. This is the beautiful story of redemption. This is the grace of God that was given to Paul by which he is a steward. The grace of God that was given to him for us, for his readers, that God, the Father, through the work of Jesus Christ, had you and had me and had future generations that will come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He had them in mind, past, present, and future. This is the beauty of God's grace and, and this is the stewardship that Paul was overwhelmed by in his ministry. Friends, do we equally approach the stewardship that we have been given to share the love of Jesus to this world that so desperately needs it? Do we have the same mindset, the same perspective, the same reality and weight that we have, we have been given a stewardship, a responsibility to take the good news that Jesus saves to the world, to our generation, to our context right here, right now? Do we have the same perspective that Paul had as we look at his stewardship and handling the mystery of Christ, friends, this stewardship, this handling, this responsibility isn't just for the spiritual leadership of the body of Christ that we're going to hear about in chapter number four. It's not just for the pastors, the elders, the deacons, those who may have gone to have training, those who don't have. It is for all of us that, that what? Name the name of Jesus as our Lord and personal Savior. We should be overwhelmed with the stewardship of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Moving on to verse number three, let's read it among whom, or excuse me, wrong chapter, verse number three of chapter three, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. So moving on to verse number three, we have our first sighting of the word, what mystery? We saw this word first used back in chapter one, verse number nine. Let's read it. He says this, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in who? In Christ. 
So we saw it there in verse number nine. And all throughout this book, Paul will continue to layer in more and more clarity on this mystery as it has been made known, as it has been revealed. As he moves from this vertical mystery of sinful man being made right in the eyes of God through Jesus Christ, through this outworking of the horizontal mystery where the Jew and the Gentile are now one on this earth in the church, all for the glory of God. This mystery has been, what Paul says, made known. Aren't you thankful for those two words, made known? Aren't you thankful that the mystery of Christ and his finished work on the cross, his shed blood, his resurrection from the dead and empty tomb, Aren't you thankful that that mystery has been made known? And if it's been made known, it means that it's available for understanding that the Holy Spirit is in active participation of drawing those to himself whom he would have. And this is a beautiful reality of salvation, that it's been made known. We can know God the Father through Jesus Christ. However, this verb before Paul gets to puffed up in his own ministry, in his own role as an apostle. This verb here is in what the passive voice, meaning Paul received this revelation by no efforts of his own. I think of Philippians chapter number three, where Paul goes through seven or eight different feathers that he could put in his hat of his accomplishments on this earth. Paul knew a lot. Paul was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, he was, he was a Pharisee. If there was anything spiritual to know in his time, Paul knew it. But he realized that when it came to the mystery of this gospel, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, that he was passive in this revelation. Paul didn't earn this knowledge. He didn't come to it by his own merit. Paul was passive in this work. It was only given by God and it is described in coming to him by what? Revelation. It's more than likely as a reference back to Paul's experience on the road to Damascus. All right, let's turn over to Galatians chapter number one. Let's look at this verse together. Galatians chapter number one, verse number 12. Galatians one, verse number 12 says this. Actually, start reading verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Verse 12, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a what? A revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul supports this idea that this special revelation of this mystery of the gospel was given by God directly to Paul. Then we have verses number four through six. Let's read those. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed by his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. This mystery is this, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through what? The gospel. In verses four through six, 
It really holds the central thought of our text. The mystery has now been made known. Paul is claiming this special revelation by the Holy Spirit on the basis of the authority of his apostleship to finally summarize in crystal clear form what this mystery is all about. So in doing so, Paul uses three terms to describe the content of this mystery. First, he says that they are what? Fellow heirs. He describes them first as fellow heirs. This term would recall the content in the previous chapters of the inheritance of Christ in verses 11, 14, and 18. Let's look at that. Chapter number one, in him we have obtained a what? An inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse number 14 says, who is the guarantee of our what? Inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And then we have verse number 18. It says this, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened in chapter number one. Sorry if I didn't say that having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. They are fellow heirs, the Jew and the Gentile, grafted in to the family of God, one body, one church, Jew and Gentile. They are now fellow heirs. This would even look back to Genesis 12, verse number three, where Abraham was given the promise that in you, all the families of the earth shall be what? Bless all the families of the earth. Not just God's chosen people of the Jews, but also what? The Gentiles. And so now we have this beautiful mystery that was promised all the way back to Abraham. It's now fulfilled right here in the body of Christ, the church fellow heirs of an inheritance. They're described secondly as what? Members of the same body. Members of the same body. We really don't see this phrase used elsewhere. And this is more than likely a phrase that Paul specifically coined, right? You could say that Paul copyrighted this term. So anybody else that uses it going forward, that we have to give Paul the credit for, right? Together, The Jews and the Gentiles have become one. Let's look at chapter number two, verses 15 and 16 that we looked at just last week. Says this in chapter two, verse number 15, by abolishing what? The law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. Verse 16, it might reconcile us both to God in what? One body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Together, they form the body of Christ, the church. And Paul will talk about that church some more in just a few verses. He describes them thirdly as partakers of the promise. Partakers of the promise. This phrase has some brief controversy. I don't want us to get wrapped up in the controversy because quite frankly, as you look at the context, I think both of these interpretations really have have merit. And it's likely that Paul could have had both of these interpretations in mind. So I want to break this down for us. So it's likely one of two things that Paul had in mind here as describing them partakers of the promise. Let's look back at chapter number one, Ephesians, verse number 13. 
Paul describes a promise. He says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with what? The promised Holy Spirit. So this promise in the context of this letter could likely refer to the promised gift of the Holy Spirit of which we are, are sealed when we come to the knowledge of Christ in salvation. Also in the immediate context of chapter number two, we have, look at verse number 12 here, chapter number two. Paul says, remember that you, who's the you there? Gentiles, exactly, right? Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of what? A promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So certainly chapter two, verse number 12 gives us some context of potentially this interpretation of what the partakers of the promise really means here in Paul's understanding. The covenants of promise. So this likely is Paul reminding the Gentile readers that they are adopted into the family of God. They are now partakers of the same promise that was given to the Jews by God the Father as, as his chosen people. The Gentiles are now what? No longer strangers, but rather they are heirs to God's promise that was even given to Abraham. So we see support of this thought again in Galatians chapter number three. Let's turn over there to Galatians one more time. I'm keeping you busy here this morning in our verse references. Galatians chapter number three. Let's look at verses seven through nine. This is a great passage. It gives us some context to this truth as well. Galatians chapter three, verse number seven. Know that, excuse me, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Right, so here's Paul making a direct reference back to Genesis chapter number 12. He goes on to verse nine. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. Those who are of faith, both the Jew and what? The Gentile believing in Jesus Christ as their savior are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So we have, again, these Gentiles being heirs, becoming heirs, fellow heirs, members of the same body, and finally partakers of the promise. Let's look at Paul's third and, and final point in our text this morning. We want to look at Paul's service in proclaiming the mystery of Christ. Paul's service in proclaiming the mystery of Christ. In this section, we see, in this section, we see the purpose for which Paul would endure this suffering and faithfully continue on as a steward of the gospel. He states it explicitly in verse number 10. Actually, let's read, uh, let's read verses 8 through 12 just to get the context there. Ephesians 3, verse number 8. To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul is going to give some insight into that unsearchable riches of Christ in this prayer that he's going to finish with as, as he talks about um, in verse number 18, 
may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul hints to these realities that he'll layer on further detail in the second half of chapter three, but he goes on and says, the unsearchable riches of Christ, verse nine, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now, right? Right now may be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We see a contrast there in verse number nine, the mystery hidden for ages in God. And we see in verse number 10, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It is because of Jesus Christ that what that once, excuse me, that what once was hidden is now made known through Jesus Christ. I love this word manifold. God's manifold wisdom. This term manifold is, is critical to our understanding really what Paul wants us to get here. It was interesting as I was looking at this term as it obviously jumps out to us as a unique term. This word manifold is only used here once. It occurs once right here in the Bible in Ephesians chapter number three. What does it mean? It means this to be varied beyond measure in a way which surpasses all previous knowledge. I'll say that one more time. The definition of manifold is this, to be varied beyond measured in a way which surpasses all previous knowledge. As we look back at the Old Testament prophets, we look at their understanding of this promised Messiah that was hoped for through prophecy, passed down from generation to generation. Those Old Testament prophets, those Old Testament people of God, the Israelites, had an understanding of this Messiah, but wasn't their understanding in, in some way, wasn't it hidden? To some degree, they couldn't truly know everything that Christ was going to be. They, they couldn't really understand everything that he was going to accomplish. They really didn't understand all the manifold wisdom that would be made known through Christ, through his earthly ministry, through his death on the cross, through his shed blood, through an empty tomb. And we see that layered more and more as we go through the New Testament, as the finished work of Christ is complete, as those observers and as that knowledge was passed down, we, we understand as a beautiful diamond, new beautiful facets of the love of God through Jesus Christ. So we have the benefit here in his church age to understand in ways that really Old Testament believers never really could have understand the manifold wisdom of God toward us through Jesus Christ put on full display in his church. It's a beautiful word. So although God is the one who ultimately makes this mystery known, the church is his agent in delivering this, church, this truth to the world. Let's look at our text one more time. Verse number 10, so that through the church, I love that phrase, through the church. 
The church is God's agent in delivering the good news of the gospel to the world. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord and whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. The plan God purposed before all time has now been accomplished in Jesus Christ. What was that plan? To redeem a people, to reconcile a remnant back to himself through Jesus Christ. And because of that, because of that reality that God's purposed plan has been accomplished in Jesus Christ, because of that, all who place their faith in Jesus We are giving something incredibly special. We are giving access. We are given access. What type of access are we given? We are giving literally unbridled access, a bold and a free access. Because of our vertical union with Christ being restored, we can come boldly and confidently to God the Father a throne of grace. Paul finishes his thought on this revealed ministry, mystery, excuse me, with reminding his readers of the benefits of this union with Christ. He declares emphatically, we have access to God. And because that, we can come boldly to him and confidently to him as a child runs to their father as a child runs to their father in their time of need, whether they fall down or scrape their knee or whether their life is in danger, they call out to who? Their father. We have a father. We have access by which we can cry what? Abba, father, because of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, verse number 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Certainly it is free access, but certainly it has been bought with a price. And that is Jesus Christ. So friends, what are our takeaways from our text this morning as we will transition to our application and implementation time? I want us to anchor on these truths. First, number one, the church is the focus of God's plan. The church is the focus of God's plan. Friends, there is no plan B. It was always the church and it will always be the church. And so friends, we, as Paul did, need to wake up to the reality of this stewardship and responsibility of the mystery of the gospel. Not only is the church the focus of God's plan, but secondly, Christ is the center of God's plan. Christ is the center of God's plan. The gospel of Jesus Christ should and will always be the center of God's plan. It will always be the center by God's grace of Liberty Hills Bible Church because that is all we have. That is all we can hope in. It is only by Jesus and through Jesus that anything can be accomplished for his glory. Thirdly, unity is the fulfillment of God's plan. Unity is the fulfillment of God's plan. 
The church is the focus, the center is Christ, and unity is the fulfillment of God's plan. What passage of scripture am I about to bring up? Somebody tell me. John 17. I had to do it, sorry. Right? John 17. I think I've talked about that in the last probably 12 times that I've preached. It comes up. Why? Because it is so powerful to understand God's plan for his church is that we be unified just as God in Jesus Christ are unified in the Trinity. That's the type of depth of unity and relationship that he desires for us. And that is how we know God's plan is fulfilled when his church, Jew, Gentile, every tribe and nation and tongue are united under the body of Christ. That is when his plan will be fulfilled and it can happen in our day, in our church, and we should be striving for that type of unity. And then finally, Paul just gives us some very practical understanding a perspective of the role of suffering as part of God's plan. God wants to use suffering in your life to put his glory and his relationship with you on full display so that when the world looks on and sees us suffering and they see our response to that suffering in those circumstances and they see us lifting up our hearts in praise and worship and trust to a father, who seems to be, from human perspective, hurting his children, when the circumstances of this world are heavy on our shoulders, when we respond rightly with the right perspective to suffering, and we understand that that's part of God's plan, that can be an incredible witness to the world around us. A mystery made known. Friends, let's remember that today, not just in Paul's time, but today, right now, in Liberty, Missouri, in this, the extended Kansas City metro area, in the United States of America, in all this world, God is sovereignly fulfilling his eternal plan of redemption through Christ, whereby the mystery of the gospel has been now made known. Let's not forget that. Because if we remember that truth, it will change how we live. It will change how we love others, and it'll certainly change how we respond to trials and difficulties in this life. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for your love, for your grace, and for your, mis uh, for your mercy in our lives. Thankful for this text. And I'm even looking forward in a very expectant way what you're going to do as we finish out this chapter, as we look into Paul's prayer you wanting to work and to use your people in ways that we can't even comprehend, Paul is going to paint a picture for us. So I pray this morning that we would do our part and it is simply this, to respond and to obey. I pray as we gather together in these application times as we seek to implement what you have taught us, I pray that we would do just that. We would not just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers. So Father, I pray also as for the children as they go out and they consider the, the good news of Jesus and the gospel. I pray that you would use that time in their lives to reveal your son and to reveal your will for their lives in new and fresh ways. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to gather together as a body of Christ. It truly is good to dwell in the house of the Lord this morning. 
We thank you that this is the day that you have made. We can rejoice and we can be glad in it. We thank you for the work you have done and that you're going to do in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.